0: Here we go, here we go, here we go. Fold your hands, close your eyes. Wave goodbye to Pastor Nelson. He's a wonderful young man, but he's got a lot to do. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. So if you say that a couple thousand times a day, your life will be better. Now, we took a week off. This was an experiment. We'd never done that before. I figured all the smart kids were in one class, so we could probably, you know, take off. Speaking of which, smart kids. Okay, can you remember anything at all? I'll give you a clue. Tomorrow, even though we're past the deadline a bit, tomorrow will be All Saints Day. And in the middle of the service, we'll pray for our dead. Ring the bell. Now, when we do that, we'll only pray by their first name, or their first and second name. Why would we do that? Anybody got an idea? Think about what you know. Anybody got an idea about this? You should be brave by now. Come on, this is, you know. No? I'll give you a clue. Once when a priest was asked why uh, he did baptisms in Latin, he said, because the devil knows Latin. Okay, that didn't work. Uh. <laughs> It's because that's the name that the Lord um, goes by. She's going to have a baby. You should be particularly nice to her. She's at about her six months. She's about to become uncomfortable. You should be... She's uncomfortable. Easy, son, easy. We'll need one of the elders to take him away and talk this over with. him. guy's got a couple of kids. He knows what to do. Why am I even asking you that? Because, uh, yes, and when you come, your last name is? Omen. O-H-M-A-N. Correct. Yes, but you'll get that name at the hospital or from the county clerk, Omen, maybe from the old man. But when you come to the font, it's a girl, isn't it? It's my divining rod, felt tip. (laughs) Have you picked a name out? But you don't tell, but when it's revealed there, of course, in the baptismal service, we do shoot the big gun off with the pink confetti. That's the first thing we do. But then your child will get its baptismal name at the font. That's the name Jesus will know your child by. There's omens everywhere. You can't swing a dead cat around here without hitting an omen. But your child will have that particular name at that particular time, right? And so when we pray, Every Sunday when we pray, by the way, if you're very clever, this is for extra credit, you can count tomorrow. When we pray for the sick, you'll notice we pray in eights. Remember we talked about that. There's eight bursts around the font because the resurrection was on the eighth day, John's Gospel, it's also the first day, it's also the third day, but it's the eighth day. So when we pray for healing, we pray by the baptismal name, And on the eighth day, when we rejoice, before your child is baptized, we'll pray for you, the child of Dan and Jenna. The moment your child is baptized, we will use that super secret name that you're about to give her. Watch and see, it's fun. It sort of signals that everything is okay. Anyway, and then you remember last week we did a couple of stories about, for example, about the deacon who went into the haunted baths. It was a good Halloween story. And um, everybody else thought he was a dead man, and he just sort of had the hot tub all to himself. And everything was fine. And so uh, the demons are scared of the tattoo that you wear on your head. Now, you remember, we started here with a neck necros. And then you moved here, and this circle needs to be a bit bigger because of what we're going to do today. So you remember that you were baptized into Christ, and then you're in Christ. And that means you're in his death, and uh, in his burial, and in his resurrection, and in his new life, and in his glory, right? So Jesus picks you up here, and he moves you over here. This is the story of the Good Samaritan, for example. There's one man, picks up another man, a dead man, and moves him to a place where he could be safe. Or this is the story of the Good Shepherd. There's a sheep that goes missing, and out he goes, leaves the 99 behind. He goes to find the dead sheep. Good is dead, and you remember he picks it up. If you've ever seen the icon of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, he wears that sheep on his shoulders, right? He brings it home. That's you. You were dead, and now you're alive. Now, we need to have a look at the catechism. Could you grab one in front of your, uh, grab one in front. We, we should, if we're not doing what the catechism says, then we're off on our own and likely to be in big trouble. Now, we, uh, we're, the baptism is on. When you find the page, let me know. The bit on? 23. 23, thank you, friend. Right. And this is what we've done. So you remember kind of the method here was we'd look at what we do every Sunday. We come in. And we make the sign of the cross in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we make the sign of the cross, the cross that was put on us at our baptism. And then we say the name that makes us God's children, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that's the name we got at our baptism, right? So here it is. First, this is page 23, what's going on in a baptism? It's not just water, although you should play in the water, that's fun. But it's water included in God's command and combined with God's word. And you saw that we did that from Matthew 28. Jesus said, You make disciples the way you make a cake. You take one, you find a likely suspect, and then you take them to the water and you mark them, you splash them, you tattoo them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there it is. Baptism isn't just plain water. It's water with a command and with a word. Which word? And this is the word that we did. Make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why would you ever do something like that, which is what your friends will say? Invite all your pagan friends. You're very popular, Jenny. You must have pagan friends. This would be the perfect time. Because they would say, what's gotten into her? She's gone mad. Ask them all, it'll be fun. We'll get them wet, that'll change their lives. Why would you baptize your baby? It forgives sins, rescues from death and the devil, gives eternal salvation to all who believe this as God's word promises and declares. So, once you're baptized, you're saved. Or, I could say it to you another way, once you're baptized, you've been moved from here to here. And you remember we did this, this was a passive verb, you were baptized, Jesus baptized you, Jesus picked you up and moved you. You live here now, don't you know? You're a temple of the Holy Spirit, we went through that. How do you get to be a temple? You get to be a temple when the Lord names you, so your little child will become a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will move in and own your child, protect your child, and that's then, we don't delay because baptizing your child is the kindest thing that you can do. You know, um, sometimes, you know, people go months and years and you sort of go, ah, this is this is Don't, don't, don't um, tempt uh, the world. Where'd you find that? This is about bottom of 23. Um, Christ says in the last chapter of Mark, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not, will be condemned. So, when you're baptized, you live here, that's with God, and out here, you're on your own, and that's hell. Hell is when you're on your own forever, or even stronger, hell is when you get your way forever. Now, we're going to have to talk a little bit, just a little bit about you getting your way so often. You should get your way less, Uh, but we'll talk about what that means. So, how can water do such great things? Well, it's not just the water, but it's the Word of God. It's the Word of the God and the water together, along with faith, which trusts the Word of God and the water. Without the Word, you've just got water. With the Word, it's a baptism, a life-giving water, rich in grace. Now, sometimes people say, how could water do that? And then you say, well, that's what the Lord has always been doing. There was water in uh, Eden. There was water that lifted up Noah's Ark. There was water in the Red Sea that killed those people who were chasing down the Israelites. There's water in the Jordan River that they went through to get to the Red Sea. There was water at the wedding and Jesus made it wine. There was water in the Jordan and Jesus himself was baptized. There's Water is just the normal way. It's a normal way that God loves to save people. And it makes a good impression on you because you get wet. If somebody ever says to you, were you baptized, you know it happened to you because you got wet. In fact, you know, as you know from time to time, if somebody will let us dunk them all the way under, we rejoice in the splash. You can, there's no doubt when somebody's been taken all the way under especially now that the heater is broken on the font, that they've been under. It's icy and makes a difference. So it's, um, with the Word, with the Word of God, it's a baptism, a life-giving water, rich in grace, and a washing of new birth in the Holy Spirit, as St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3. He saved us, right? And this was just a picture of being saved. And what I tried to suggest to you is, Hold this picture. That resurrection, death and resurrection is the purest image of the Christian faith because it can't be manipulated. I gave you the picture of that raccoon, get well soon, right? You can't manipulate this. Nobody can decide for Christ because dead folks don't decide anything. This is impossible. And so the argument fizzles away about whether babies or adults. It's all the same. It's about what Jesus does to you. Jesus picks you up here like a good shepherd. Jesus picks you up here like a good Samaritan, and Jesus moves you over here, and now you live here, right? This This is what's going on. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs to the hope of eternal life. We'll have to kind of do that piece by piece. There's a lot going on there. And then, um, what does baptiz- baptizing with water indicate? It indicates that the old Adam and us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned. So if you're a good Lutheran, you start every day with murder. You wake up, as Luther says, Make the sign of the cross and say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This scares the devil away. I I told you that, you it was still baseball season last time we met. And you know, when somebody's throwing a hundred mile an hour pitch to you, it makes complete sense that someone would do this before they get in the batter's box. It's the only rational thing to do. So, when you're troubled, you make the sign of the cross, the devil can't stand that. You know, the way the devil can't stand incense, the way the devil can't stand the Kyrie, the way the devil can't stand beautiful things because the devil and demons are ugly. So you should surround yourself with the name and with beauty and with bells and with incense and with icons and with joy. All the things of Jesus that the devil hates. You don't need to be scared of the devil. You simply make the sign of the cross, poke him in the eye, and move on. Every day, the old Adam in us should by contrition and repentance be drowned and die. We're going to have to talk about both of those things. Along with all our sins and evil desires, that a new man should daily emerge and arise and live with God in righteousness and purity. Where'd you get that? Romans 6, 4, and that's where we started. We were buried with him into death, that we'd be raised with him by the glory of the Father into a new life. All right, there you go, that was an awful lot, but I'm bound by the fine print in our commercials where the attorney speaks really fast to go through that with you. So I didn't, I didn't want to be a bad example for Pastor Vitt if I didn't um, do that for you. Just any questions about that? Because otherwise it's time for the midterm exam. It's gonna be great. Really, none at all? You're too easy. Let me just say then that I've observed people who aren't always happy with this story. In fact, I've met some people who are mightily unhappy. In fact, the world as I know it is just horrible. I mean, it seems like it's going to hell. And it quite literally, I read an article last night before I went to bed, you know, about the start of World War III, is what's happening everywhere, the beginning of World War III or not. I've also observed in some of you, even though I've only known you for a short time, that even though Jesus has put you here upright and taking nourishment, there are some of you sometimes in some churches who want to live out here. I'm sure it's never happened to anybody in here, but tomorrow when you come to church you can check around. There are people who even though Jesus says live in here, like to live out here. This is all your hoodlum friends. And you know the people who will be with you at Thanksgiving. And then you, when you wake up in the morning and you haven't made the sign of the cross and been contrite for all the ways you've sinned. And then there's always the question about, isn't life better out here? This is where people seem to be having so much fun. These are the cool kids, these are the popular kids, these are the rich kids. They're all out here. So why would I live in here? And also then, how would you know where the boundary is? How would you know if you were here or here? This is a live question. What does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to be good? right, in every war around the world right now, who's right? So this is what we have to sort out, how we live here. So I give you C.S. Lewis, who says something like, you know why you're unhappy? Because you live here, but you, you, you want to live out here. You live here, and you think it's better than being out here. This is a great little quote from Lewis, right? When we want to be something other than the thing God wants us to be, This is the thing God wants you to be, right here. That's the thing God wants you to be, in Christ. When we we want to be something other, right? When we want to be out here, when we want to be something other than the thing God wants us to be, we must be wondering what, in fact, will not make us happy. And I wonder if your unhappiness and mine could be as simple as you're spending some time out here, and that's the source of your deep unhappiness, and especially your friends who are outside the church. So I just, you know, I don't expose anybody, but you just think about it right now. If you think about how your friends talk, or you could just go on social media and read around, by and large, do people say, life is beautiful, this is wonderful, everything's perfect, I'm so happy, it's beautiful. Or do people largely say, you all stink, and most of the time I stink too, and the light world is coming apart, and maybe it's World War III, and who can you trust? And, 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 right? So if you're unhappy in your own life, it's because you have a toe in the water out here. If you're anxious, if you're troubled, it's because you're spending more time out here than in here. Now, if you need to know where the boundary is, I can help you with that. This would be the church, or this would be bounded by the Creed, or by the Lord's Supper, or by Holy Baptism, or by what we're going to do today, the 10 words. Now, just to uh, be clear, before I get immediately get mail from seminarians listening in check your Hebrew It doesn't say the 10 commandments in the Hebrew text what's it say pastor you remember the dvar Yes the dvar see this is it's always be around people who are smarter than you are you always want to be the dumbest guy in the room that's the key to life right and the dvar is you want to give a quick Hebrew translation of that words Yes words which, of course, can then work two ways. Well done. So, and where is that? Are you going to Exodus 20, young fella? I am. So if you grab a Bible, now in the company issue Bible, what's the page number, friend? 61. 61. We've hardly started. That's good, because this is still the beginning of the catechumen. So we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Now, when you were a child, 61? Yes, sir. Thanks, friend. I became a pastor because, primarily, well, first by accident, but second because I love church, but every place i had been to church, people always, this was the primary motion, not this, but this. And it was always about what's wrong with you, how you're not measuring up what you should do better, and shape up, Marge, for goodness sakes. I'm trying. (laughs) That's the right answer, good job. (laughs) But it goes all the way back, it seems to me, even to the 10 Commandments. Now, if I had to ask you, if I said, and try to get this right, because otherwise I'll have to slam on the brakes here for four or five minutes. If you were gonna say one word about God, if you're gonna describe God in one word, what what would you think? This is where we're playing Guess what's in my head? This is almost like my other favorite game, which is you be me. But guess what's in my head? That's always a good game. If you had to say one word about God, how would you describe God? Please, 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 Jesus, let him get it right. Please, please, please. Thank you. And now, extra credit for both, holy and love, which are going to turn out to be the same thing. But let's go with holy since it fits into what I'm thinking about. Okay, so in here, one of the ways to describe this is Holy. You remember as in when the Lord comes to Israel and says, be holy the way I'm holy. Your first question would be, what in the world would that ever mean? Well, here it is. Now, uh, I, I'm going to say to you, and this for you Lutherans, this is the point where your ears are going to turn on your head. This was gospel before it was law. You learned that this was the law and you should shape up. This of course, is true. It is the law, and you should shape up. That's not wrong. It's just not the whole story. So you tell me as we read this text. Now, you remember the backstory. Israel has been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Things are not going well. The Egyptians treat them as animals. They say to them, You don't have land, you don't have gods, you don't have souls, you don't have status. You're like animals, you're slaves. To which then, Moses and the Israelites cry out and say to God, well, this isn't going very well, because we thought we were your chosen. And then the Lord comes and he says, Let's get out of here. I love you so much. I tell you what. Tell everybody to pack a suitcase. Out the door we'll go. I'll take you to a promised land. We'll have a fresh start. It's going to be great. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. If you need me, I'll give you my name so we can stay in touch. On the Sabbath... You come to church and relax, and I will care for you. And then when you go home, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Be happy with what you've got. Take good care of your family and love your spouse. And together, we will live happily ever after. That is Exodus 20. That is the 10 words. How that gets so easily translated into this is to me a mystery. Especially when it says, these are the 10 words. Listen to this. God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God. Not unlike when he came here and said, I am the Lord your God, speaking to a corpse. I am the Lord your God. The story's the same story. Remember I said this the first day? There's only one story, death and resurrection. Every story in scripture is death and resurrection. That's all there is. I am the Lord your God. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. This is going to be great. You shouldn't make yourself a carved image, a likeness of anything that's in heaven above or on the earth below, that's under the water. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for the Lord your God is a jealous God. I love you. And um, visiting... The iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me so when this goes badly it goes badly for a very long time but showing steadfast love to those thousands who keep my words so now love plays into showing steadfast love this would be the place that'd be filled with steadfast love this is the place where the Holy Lord lives. Okay, so I'll be your God and you'll be my people. Verse two, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Verse three, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. There's the other side. Six days you labor, the seventh day you should rest. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's persons. So all those things stealing, murdering, and coveting, and not coming to church, and having other gods, and being a witch, and cursing other people, all live out here and the trouble is they're so attractive they're so attractive either last week or this week or next week there'll be a little note again from c.s lewis who said you all settle for sex and drunk drugs and and lies he says you're too easily pleased this is the problem you're too easily pleased you don't have any time horizon. You're not savvy about what makes you happy and what doesn't make you happy. You think holiness and love are bad things instead of good things. You think that they will ruin your fun. To that I give you then Kapan, who is the happiest man in the gospel, besides Norman Nagel, that I've ever met. We once called him in Boston and asked him to come to St. John and talk with us. His wife said, well, he's a bit old for that, but if you're ever in the Boston area, you boys should come for tea. he died before we could get to him. But what a beautiful invitation. The reason for not going out, so if you'll just stipulate with me that this is holy and this is unholy and this is love and this is unlove and this is not sin and this is sin. Take it literally, the reason for not going out and sinning all you like, is the same reason for not going out and putting your nose in a slicing machine. It's dumb, stupid, and no fun. Can you imagine? Dumb, stupid, and no fun. Some individual sins may have pleasure still attached to them because of the residual goodness of the realities they are abusing. You know, so sex here can still feel good because sex here is really good. Or, um, being greedy here can be really good because money used well is really good here. I mean, there are things that can still, you know, be used, but poorly, sinfully. Adultery can indeed be pleasant, and tying one on can amuse. But betrayal, jealousy, love grown cold, and the gray dawn of the morning after are nobody's idea of a good time. That's unfun. Of course, now I spend my life trying to explain this to people and then trying to live it myself. Both of those things don't work out so well sometimes. But let's, let me just stipulate, right? Let me just, let's just say that there are in fact sinners in the world. Let's just say when we go back out the door at 10 o'clock that all the major wars in the world are still going on and there are still people enslaved everywhere. Pornography is still supporting the Internet. Um, Children are still being abused. And, you know, you could blow up at any second. Let's just stipulate that as a possibility, right? Right. Having said that, what would make a person move from here to here? I ask this about yourself. This is a way that you examine yourself. If you told a lie, why did you tell it? Or, if you were disobedient, why did you disobey? Or, if you cursed, or if you became a witch, its becoming more and more popular. Or, if you didn't go to church, or if you didn't say your prayers, or if something else is more important than God, that's what the Catechism says, your God is whatever is at point number one. Just ask yourself about yourself, not about somebody else. It's not that helpful to ask about other people. Ask about yourself. Why would you ever cross this line? You got any ideas? Asking for a friend, and you can speak for a friend if you want. It looks easier up there. (laughs) It does look easier up here. Okay. One more level down. Why does it look easier, John? Go ahead. Fit in, you will fit in. Now you the, the, and the, of course then we'd have to say, popularity is of. <laughs> as Nagel once said to me, popularity is of the old Adam. But you can figure which sin would popularity be good for, right? Not the popularity is always bad. If you run for president, I'll vote for you if you'll be a good president. You'd be popular in my book. That could be a good. You see, these things go. Every word can work two ways right why else why would you cross the line Fear. yes so good positive thing I want to be popular negative thing I'm afraid beautiful but there's always something but we're trying to go like deeper and deeper now what what would make you be afraid or what would make you want to be popular? I mean, for goodness sakes, John, there's a zillion other things. Take the lottery winnings before popularity. You get the lottery, you're all automatically popular, right? So you also think ahead. Every sin begins with a lie. God really saved. And this is the lie that begins every sin. Now you even have to go one more level below that. So Rumsey. has a Bible and reads it, recalls that the devil said to Eve, did God really say? But now there's one more thing. So that would be like, is popularity really bad? Or wouldn't fear really help? Or wouldn't it be, aren't there white witches? You see, did God really say? But now one more, one more level below that. What's the, God doesn't love me. If God loved me, he would make me popular. If God loved me, Give me my million dollars. he would get you the million dollars. Remember to tithe on that. It's St. John Lutheran Church. The routing number is. So, so if God loved me, he would. I get my pony. You'd get a pony. Yes, you would. Why would people move from a pony country to a non-pony country? Seinfeld. God doesn't. Love me. This is the root of every sin. God says to you, I love you. You say, no, you don't. You say, I really love you. You say, I don't think so. I I don't believe it. Any variation. Which is then to say that God's a liar. So the question is, does God tell the truth or do you tell the truth? That's the question, Right. And when you've decided that God's a liar, every sin, there's no sin I can find that doesn't work with this, every sin is betrayal. Every sin is betrayal. So you betray God himself or the people around you. The first three commandments are about betraying God. The last seven are about betraying other people when you steal from somebody you betray them when you lie about them you betray them when you dishonor them you betray them every sin boils down to this God doesn't love me and every sin becomes an action of betrayal and this is what it is to be unholy unfaithful unloving ungenerous, untruthful, unwhatever you're supposed to be. (laughs) Life is so easy. Which is why then, we spend almost all our time here trying to convince you, remind you, that God loves you. So you remember in the last couple of weeks, I said to you that, uh, God takes you as his own child. And when God looks at you, God sees Jesus himself. That God treats you the very same way that he treats Jesus. And that he begs you to stay put. Grab a Bible, see if you can find John's Gospel. Pastor Vitt, if you get there. I would love to um, find, uh, I think, John 10. So find John's Gospel. Help help the person next to you, if you would. What page-ish are you on? 11.40. 11.40, that's good. 11.40, and I'm sorry that I didn't speak up. 11.40-ish. Well, we have old Bibles and new Bibles, and we could argue about which one is true, inspired and errant, if you want. Try 896 or 1140, depending on where you are. Anyway, get some that says in the top John, okay? That would be really, really good. Uh, If you look at John 10. Pastor Witt, find me the text that says, abide in me and I in you, right? Can you find me that text? But while you look, you all look at John 10, verse 10. Yeah, we're going to go to John 15, too. But let me, I tell you what, you go to John 15, and I'm just going to read you a couple of things. I don't want you paging around so much. So go to John 15. Just look at verse 10, okay? But just, just kind of listen, though, to a couple of other verses. John 15, 4. Abide in me and I in you. John 15, 4. Have you got that? John 5, this is the vine and branches. You probably know this. Abide in me and I in you. Abide is the word for stay where I put you. The literal translation is stay put. So Jesus comes to you here. He loves you. He moves you here. And then he tells you to stay put. Now, just move down to verse 10. If you keep my commandments, my words, you will abide in me. I'm sorry, no, better. You will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. There's the difference between Jesus and everybody else. You know the difference between Jesus and everybody else? Jesus does what he's told. That's simple. Of course, there are other things, two natures, one person. I get all that. The difference between Jesus and everybody else is Jesus does what he's told. Jesus stays put. Jesus abides in the Father's love. And he begs you to live in love as well. As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. That's verse 9. So stay put in love. This is why your church should be filled with love. This is why the defining characteristic of whatever happens in the sanctuary should be love, which of course expresses itself as faith, as grace, as mercy, as obedience, as justification, as righteousness. Of course, of course, of course. Stay put. Stay put. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Stay put in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. This is just so obvious. If you stay in here and don't live out here, if you don't cross this line, you're still in my love. Okay, good. These things I have spoken to you, and look at this, that your joy may be that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so then, a quick distinction between joy and happiness. Joy is when your will and way aligns completely with God's. This is why you can have martyrs who go out to be filleted or burned at the stake joyfully. Polycarp. When they burned him up, he baked like bread, they said. They said, you could get out of this if you just renounce Jesus. He says, ah, what's Jesus ever done to me but love me? I'm 96 years old. He's never hurt me once. Why would I renounce him now? Joy is permanent and divine. Happiness comes and goes. Happiness is fabulous. But theoretically, I guess you could have a life that was full of joy and full of unhappiness all at the same time. Joy has to do with staying put, with living in love, with being holy, with being forgiven, with being baptized, with taking the Eucharist, with being generous, with having faith, with telling the truth. That's what joy is. And this, then, is meant to be the church. And any time we go out here, things are at risk of breaking down. And if you've ever been in a church where everything has kind of gone to hell, this is the diagnosis and the answer. That God doesn't love us, so we betray God and each other, and we live our lives out here instead of living our lives in here. It's really quite simple. It's really quite simple to explain. This, of course, takes a lifetime to do. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. These things I have spoken to you, John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my word, my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, you be like Jesus. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for, uh, for his friends. And of course, friends is a remarkable term. Abraham was called friend of God, and Moses once, I think, kind of in a secondary way, called friend. but nobody was the friend of God in the Old Testament. You had to be a great big deal to be a friend of God. It was a technical term for kind of the highest level people. But now all of you get to be friends of God. It's remarkable <sighs> stuff. You're not just anybody. You're my friends if you do what I bid you, if you do what I ask. And what does he ask? He asks that you stay within your baptism. And the trouble for us is we just, we just can't believe this, right? We can't believe this. We can't believe if we tell the truth it'll actually work out. We can't believe that if we're, we give 10% of the church and something for the poor, we can't believe that we'll have enough. You know, we, just, we just can't believe that if we don't advance ourselves pridefully you know, that, that our, our lives will be okay. We just can't believe it. And we can't believe it because we don't really believe that God loves us. Now, if that's too hopeless, let me give you the antidote. The antidote is memory. In the scriptures, remembering and faith are synonyms. If you remember what God has done for you and believe what God has done for you, you have faith. So, I suggest to you, when you're troubled, you remember what the Lord has done. You can start with baptism, and the revelation of holiness, and your resurrection, and the way you've been loved as a child, the same way the Father loves Jesus, he loves you. And when you remember that um, you've been given so many gifts, Then the natural response is gratitude. It'll be like Christmas. You remember your first Christmas Milena. I know that Alvaro will pull out all the stops. Sorry, bud. And then middle of January you will say that Alvaro He loves me so. I'm so thankful to have him. Life is beautiful. And that sort of recognition is humility. The humility of Jesus. Augustine said that every sin is a sin of pride. Which is of course true. Because we put ourselves in front of God. Because we love ourselves more than we love Him. The trouble with um, anti-pride, the trouble with being humble is, you can't hit it by aiming at it. It takes a process, it takes a crooked path. But you'll find, if you can ever find a humble person, I could name you a couple in this congregation who are joys to know, you'll find that their humility works like this. They remember what God has done for them and where he's put them. They remember how large these gifts are. The difference between life and death. They're so grateful for having that. And they live where nothing but given to. That's how they live. And when you can get to this because of this, Your life and your family and your church and your world are fabulous. Y'all can't do much about the world, maybe not so much unless John gets elected president, but if he does, then there's hope for us. But then a step back, at least for yourself and your family and your church. Tomorrow, when the pastor says, do this in remembrance of me, this is what he's talking about. And that's the reason you receive it on your knees and on your tongue. You're nothing but the body of Christ. Amen. The blood of Christ. Amen. For the forgiveness of your sins. And then, um, this is where you live. Make sense? Are you still okay? Now then, and this is what we'll do next week. There's always the question about how works and faith fit together. And how many good works are enough? And should we do any good works? And you see, if you think about your world in this way, it all sort of evaporates. All the good, all the works, all the joy, all the hope, all the holiness is here. All the disappointment, all the horror, all the lies, all the betrayal, all the hell is here. It seems like a fairly rational argument to live here rather than here. To do good rather than to do evil, even when some days, like Job, you can't see it. Curse God and die. Why would I curse God? Deny Christ. Why would I deny Christ? He's been nice to me for 96 years. Your own formation in mind then is to discover all the memories and gifts that God has given us. By memory, to discover the gifts and to live in gratitude so that we live in humility, so that we. Stay put, make sense? This will solve you, this will solve your marriage, this will solve your family, this will solve your church. It's not complicated, it is difficult. But give it a try and then you know, sometimes you end up you know, being here with people who think the way you do and everything is wonderful, at least for a short time. Questions about anything? I feel like I've just battered you into submission, but of course, you know this happens. Now, I'm not pastors like Pastor Witt. He's warm, empathetic, he listens. He probably asks questions and answers them. I should come to Friday Morning Women's Bible Study. You should go to Friday Morning Women's Bible Study. I hear he's wonderful. The ladies are wonderful too. They make the room. Hey, 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 hey. Okay, just a (laughs) second. I mean, you probably, after your marriage, you probably shouldn't start with, lead any sentence with, hey, the ladies are wonderful. <laughs> I mean, I just, I mean just, kind of, just thinking it all the way through, but you know, do what you want. All right. So, any questions? Friend? Yeah, maybe the question is trials, tribulations, and testing. Yeah. It all happens in here, right? It all's in here. It's not very pleasant. You're all the way. You're soaked in this when you can say about your own death, it's a gift and a blessing. As don't answer because I don't want to probe, but um, just ask yourself, have you ever known anybody who died well? We have a prayer where we pray for a blessed death. Occasionally when somebody's close, we pray at the altar even that God would grant them a blessed death. What does that mean? That their own gift would be received as a gift and a blessing where their <laughs> their move from here isn't a move to here, it's a move out here into heaven, right? And the time doesn't stop, and that life goes on, and the joy is complete with saints and angels, right? The middle part is horrible. You're old enough to have seen, I mean, I, my friends started dying in their 20s, and they started getting cancer in their 30s, and they kept going in their 40s, and you're probably 32, 33, so you've probably seen a few of these things, right? How do you explain these things? What do you do? How do you go to your death? These are all questions. Of course, this is all theoretical until you're the one with cancer. But you have to practice. Because when it gets tough, it's hard, to, it's hard to build a plane while you're taking off, right? So. Yes, that's right. But that's, the, that's kind of a lot of joy when, you're, when these troubles come to you. But uh, that's written to people who've got some, they've put some time in, right? So, All right, let's pray. Hang around if you want. Please remember that one of the chief sins in the church is to put unmarked things in the refrigerator because we'll open them up later, say at the eschaton, and they'll still be there. So take the bagels home, take the donuts home, take anything out there. Poor children on a bud. Take it. Take it all. Take it. Sprinkle donuts. Two, three, four. Take them all. Take them, okay? Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, thanks. See you in church and see you next week. If you need anything, come see me or the young Pastor Witt uh, and, uh, or Pastor Nelson. If you need anything, let us know. Otherwise, keep going.